Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. My guest today is Ryan Walton of Daring to Dad. We go deep talking about the reality check of becoming a father, finding the courage to ask other men for help, the switch from controlling your emotions and reactions instead of controlling the world around you, the power of therapy, men's groups, and regulating your own nervous system, the convergence of personal and community healing and responsibility, awakening to your own story and the narratives that drive your life, practical tools to slow down and start doing the work in only three minutes, the importance of having guiding principles as a parent, showing up powerfully for your children in a way that there is no doubt that they know you're on their side, dealing with the devastation of a shattered identity and how to get curious and rebuild your life and the power of taking responsibility for your own life. Ryan Walton is a certified integral coach and works with men and fathers to deepen their connections with their children and impact on the world. You can find more about Ryan at daringtodad.com and on Instagram at daringtodad. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ryan. I love the stuff he's putting out on Instagram. I know he works very closely with fathers and has a great story of his own to share. And I was very excited to get his feedback and his insights and his wisdom, having been in this space and been doing this work for so long. With that being said, let's dive into this amazing conversation with Ryan Walton. Before we get started, I want to let you know about two events and announcements we have for ways to get in touch and work with us coming up. December 2nd kicks off the next round of the Dad Work Men's Group for Fathers. There will be a group of men who meet weekly for eight weeks going deep talking about all sorts of things related to becoming a better man, partner, and father. And I got to tell you, men's group has been one of the best things I have done to supercharge my own journey into becoming a better man, partner, and father. There is an investment in time, money, and commitment, and effort that you will be required in order to join this group. So this is for men who are absolutely ready and fired up to change their lives for the better in a group container with other dads doing the same work. If this is something that you think is for you, please apply to join the waitlist at dad.work slash men's dash group. That's dad.work slash M-E-N-S dash G-R-O-U-P. You can apply to the waitlist and I will be in touch that same day in order to get you on a call to be sure that we are right fit for each other. I look forward to having you involved. And again, that's dad.work slash men's dash group. Join us. It's changed my life, and I hope it'll change yours. The second thing that we have to announce, on December 8th, I'm hosting a workshop. It's called New Year, New Dad, and we are going to be diving deep into goal setting for 2022. We are going to discover your values and your vision. We're going to set goals, and we are going to craft a plan to make sure you achieve those goals this year. We're going to be focusing on the most impactful parts of our lives, from fitness to family to finances to relationships and more. This is a two-hour online event. If you can't attend it on the date, December 8th, you will have access to a full recording if you buy a ticket. Tickets are only $10 through Eventbrite. We will meet on December 8th to go over all of the things I have done over the last 10 years to become excellent at setting and achieving the goals I set for myself. This, for me, is one of my superpowers, and I'm excited to share it with you. It's only 10 bucks. It's a two-hour event. If you can't make it, you can get the recording simply by getting a ticket. Go to dad.work slash workshop. That's dad.work slash workshop and buy a ticket. Again, only 10 bucks. And uh, this is going to be, I hope, year-changing, life-changing, set you on a course, a path to realizing all the dreams and hopes you have for this coming year for yourself, for your family, for your children. All that being said, 
We're finally ready to get into the interview with Ryan. Make sure if these things are up your alley, you go to dad.work slash men's dash group or dad.work slash workshop. And I will see you there. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. I have seen your stuff on Instagram. And honestly, there's all this stuff that I see. I was scrolling through just before our chat and I was like, you're talking about how obeyance as a child is not something we ought to teach as like the, the holy grail of parenting. You're talking about nonviolent communication. You're talking about trauma. You're talking about grief and Anthony DeMello quotes. And I was like, man, this guy is like so on the page of all the fatherhood stuff and the men's sort of work stuff that I've done. I'm so excited to talk to you. For, so thanks and welcome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime I can talk about these things, um, with other men, I think it's so important. I think it's needed work. It's needed. I know that first and foremost because I need it, and I have needed it in my journey as both a man as a father and as a father. So happy to have this conversation. And thanks for yeah. thanks for following along and interacting with stuff, man. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to start with that. What was your journey to fatherhood like? Because it sounds like from what you just said, like me, it was sort of this, oh, no, I've got a lot of work to do. So could you walk me through just like what it was leading up to fatherhood and then how that sort of affected you moving forward? Yeah, you know, I, um, I grew up with um, a, a very loving, very engaged uh, father myself. And, and it, it, the amazing part about that is my father didn't have a dad growing up. You know, my dad's dad took his own life when my dad was about six years old. And so my dad really didn't have a model for fatherhood growing up. And it always blows my mind because, you know, statistically speaking, you know, that should create all sorts of, you know, problems for him as a dad but my 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 father uh you know made some decisions in his life to um re-engage uh to find some grounding and peace and he married a, a fantastic woman and my my mother um but was very loving very engaged um emotionally um you know physically mentally with his heart with his whole being um, not to say that every family and every everybody brings their stuff to the table, but uh, because of that, I was always really excited about becoming a dad. I had a lot of ideas about what I would be like as a father. Um, at the same time, I, I came I come from my background is a pretty um, like conservative religious background, and a lot of my ideas about fatherhood, masculinity were supported and came from a worldview, um, a, a very conservative religious worldview. Um, I, I worked as a pastor for a number of years. Uh, and shortly after exiting that world is when my son arrived on the scene. And when that happens, and he was uh, early on, I came face to face with realities about who I was in my life and stories I was telling about myself. I had to come face to face with the reality of my life. No longer the myth or the what I thought about who I was, but who I really was. And all these things you hear about children coming into our lives and exposing those areas is 100% 
true. It was true about me. And so I found my found myself, um, you know, there's that quote you know, by Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan going into the ring and take it punched in the mouth, right? That was fatherhood for me. And I found myself really struggling, really, really struggling early on. Um, I was angry. I was anxious. Um, I would get frustrated. Um, my relation, the relationship I had with my wife was on, uh, the rocks and, um, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I was in, uh, fortunately, you know, I was in this social media space. Um, and I just started sending out these like SOSs, like help. Like, is there anybody else out there who's experiencing or, and, have walked through uh, this type of thing. And slowly um, other men, other dads began to respond as I was sharing and writing. And it was other dads, other fathers, other men who held me in that time and supported me. Even, you know, people from all over um, helping support me that really helped bring me through that time and help me get regrounded, help work through my own um, uh, stories and narratives about who I was, unpack some of those things, really saved me and saved my relationship with my kids, uh, my marriage. Um, so yeah, that was that was it for me. Uh, it was a, a challenging season, but I'm, I'm really grateful for those communities and people. And so here now, you know, years later, I find myself in a place of being a lot of times the person who responds to those SOS messages and founding, I found myself um, working alongside men, fathers to um, experience the fullness of this time in life and this role we play as fathers. So that's a little bit about my background, man. Yeah, thank you for that. And yeah. I resonate so strongly with anger, anxiety, frustration, relationship on the rocks. And I want to go there. But first, I have a question about your father. And that is, have you talked to him about why he was able to develop these skills as a father himself? When, like you say, statistically, he absolutely should not have been the man that you just described him as? Yeah, you know, I think um, my Dad, um, you know, he found faith when he was in high school, you know, so he got involved with some groups and organizations that really helped, I think, you know, come along. He, he did have some mentors, probably like some pastors, youth leaders and things like that invest into his life. And he made some different choices away from some of the substance abuse that had riddled his family and found an outlet in doing some of these other things and getting involved in you know, having, just having a purpose, you know, um, which was, you know, became faith, raising a family and found himself in those places that really, I think, pulled him out of some of those things. I think obviously, you know, if he were here, he would talk about that there's still those voids and those things that, you know, he missed out on and, and, and didn't quite learn. But I think that was really what gave him an, a new opportunity and kind of pulled him out of, some of the heartache and trauma that existed within his own family. Right. So being able to have those people to reach out to much like mm -hmm. it sounds you did is mm -hmm. just putting out that SOS and being like, I need help. And that's so interesting because not 
enough men in my experience are courageous enough or willing to put out that SOS. Mm -hmm. So what was it about you, do you think, that gave you this sort of courage to be like, hey, I don't know what's going on, rather than just sort of bottling it up? Was it that you had just gone through this huge transition, which I want to get to a little bit later? Or was there something else about you that just allows you to ask for help? Mm. I think it's both. Um, I think there's something about me that is a um, comfortable processing publicly and communally. That is something I, I appreciate about the background that I do have. I grew up in a in communities and in um, spaces that valued the work done in community. And there was something about the power of communal connection and our connection as people and being able to voice out whether you know, a small group or, or whatever. And even though I moved away from some of the, the religious institutions that I was a part of earlier on, I think that's something that I do appreciate and value that, that I've taken is saying, hey, being able to reach out and say, hey, I need help and look for others. Um, so that's I, something I, I learned early on in my life that was of value. Um, I, 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 by nature and by my jobs and roles, uh, I do a lot of platform and public communication. So you know, not really being timid to to speak up and, and voice out probably helped me a little bit as well. I think also part of it was I didn't know where else to go in that moment. I didn't know where else to reach out to. Um, and my outlet is often, you know, creative it's storytelling, it's writing, it's photography. And all that, I think, just kind of created this point where reaching out in the digital space was where it landed for me. Yeah, what a unusual story of using social media for such good and having mm-hmm. that community. And I think what you do on Instagram, what I'm doing on Instagram, it's like, it's, it's so that people have a place to do that. Cause I get mm-hmm. messages almost every day being like, this is what's going on. What's yeah. my next step here. And it's amazing to just have guys sort of see that it's possible. And that's why I love doing this podcast. That's why I'm asking you about fatherhood and like struggles and stuff like that. Cause yeah. hearing that it is a struggle for so many men, especially who look on the surface today like it's cool. Like there's a lot of work that went into that for us, for you, for me. And so why don't we go back to the anger piece and the anxiety piece, frustration. How did that show up? And what was sort of the turning point when you're like, man, I got to do something. And what was it that you then did to sort of start working, doing that inner work to get over that? Mm -hmm. I would just lose... I would just lose my shit so easily um, when it came to crying and behavior, when things got out of my control. Um, I had really no ability to manage my own reaction. I was trying to manage the behavior of essentially a baby and all these feelings of being um, unworthy, unprepared, unready surface to the top. Um, all these feelings of not being enough for this child or my family surface to the top. And that was really the source of the anxiety is not being enough, not being good enough, not being equipped enough. Can I, you know, can I hack this? And honestly, it was therapy. It was therapy. It was men's groups. It was really getting vulnerable with my own stuff. Um, it was sharing in that. It was learning mechanisms to um, manage and 
regulate my own nervous system and my own emotions. Um, that really helped me to overcome, you know, so a, a blend of a lot of real theoretical stuff and like, you know, internal heart, you know, asking the deep questions, but also really practical things, skills, you know, disciplines and um, exercises to regulate my own nervous system and manage my own reaction and emotions um, to dig into why, you know, that stuff's happening. This all was a part of my own healing. Right. And how did you go about doing all this? Because for me, when I look back, I was such a, I, I see myself as being such a terrible father at first. I, same mm -hmm. sorts of things, worthiness. Uh, I was trying to control everything but my own emotions. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I was so bad that it was either completely change everything or like they'd be better off without me. And mm -hmm. for me, that was even so far as suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And I feel as though I have spent like full time hours working on myself, but like it's really worked. And that's so like a message of hope that I like to share on this show is just like it can work. So how did you go about do all that doing all that? Was it sort of like dive into everything at once? Was it like, let's do a little bit of therapy that opened up something else? Was there like a roadmap that you followed to do that work? Oh, gosh, I wish there would have been. No, there was no roadmap. Uh, and there was at least, you know, in eight or nine years, even kind of social media, digital communities have evolved so much. And, you know, at, at that time, you know, men's work, men's groups, the only ones I knew of were happening were in like churches, right? Like I, I had no idea of any other like, groups of men getting together and like talking about real stuff, working through healing. Um, I, I, you know, I have a mom and brother who are both therapists there, you know, and Therapy has always been really openly talked about and supported in my family. And so that was my first step was always really believing in the therapeutic process and talking with a, a, a trained professional in that way. I think that's where it started out a lot um, was my work with a therapist, um, working through my own history, uh, my own anxieties, my own anger. Um, and then it just began to evolve. I just really began to find it to be healing and I just started to engage more in healing type of work. So whether that was reading books, listening to podcasts, finding out, and then as social media continued to blow up, finding other people who are having the same conversation and joining in on those, finding men's groups. Um, and it was only a couple of years ago that I really started looking in, uh, in, into like the coaching space and working with men's coaches, men's groups, and really fell in love with that work. I will say this as well. Um, Kurt, you know that I think some of my motivation for healing, when I left the church life, when I left being a pastor and really had a, a complete worldview um, meltdown and rebirth, um, I really started exploring a lot of activist work and a lot of activist circles and what was happening in the world. And I began to really explore a lot of areas that I was never exposed to before, whether it was, um, you know, racial justice, you know, gender justice, all, you know, socioeconomic, all these began, all this work I began to do. And I found myself searching a lot for, okay, as kind of a white, cis, straight, you know, 
man in the world, what is my what is mine to do when it comes to some of the greatest issues facing our time? And that journey, along with my journey as a father, has really all led me to the work I'm doing now. All of my experience with like activism and all this kind of stuff and my research and study there kind of led me to like what's going on with men? What is going on with men? And that is like you know, ultimately it was like first and foremost, take care of yourself and take care of like your people. And I was like, you know what? We we as men have work to do. Like everything kept pointing me back to that. I as a man have work to do. And everything, you know, it just it just landed there so hard for me. And so I think the work in both of those spaces kind of brought me to what I'm finding is so important today and my place and what I'm up to. So this is what this this is my activism, but it's also the work I'm doing in my own healing as a man and as a father. So I think those two streams are those two things are kind of working side by side for me. Yeah. And I love that there's a personal aspect of responsibility and a societal aspect of responsibility. And it Mm -hmm. does come to this head, which is, I mean, for me, I like to look at things. I look at, you know, the world. And if I go, how do we create a more peaceful world, a more just Mm -hmm. world, a more loving world? Mm -hmm. I think, and I'm, you know, biased here, just based on what I've experienced myself, we can heal the world by healing the men and specifically the fathers, because the trickle down effect of a father being a better father to his son or daughter who then build better families and communities and more inclusive spaces like Mm -hmm. 20, 40 years from now, I think that's the future is starting with the men where we Mm -hmm. can help ourselves to then expand into our societies and Mm -hmm. our communities. And so what is that thing that you think men need to do? What kind of work do you focus on now helping men get to that point so that we have sort of the society and personal responsibility that you were just talking about? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think where a lot of times I start is just to simply become awake to the story that you're living, becoming awake to the narratives that are dominating your life, the questions that are driving all of your actions and the ways that you're showing up. And to simply, for me, it's to kind of help create a, um, a, a small crack in that movement for someone to be able to pause and to become reflective and evaluate and step back for a moment, right? And be, and see it, hear it, experience it. I think that's the work that's done personally, right? But then it's also, if we can begin to do that work personally, we become more aware of how we're doing that collectively, like how we can sit and hear as as men, and and maybe even more specifically white men, because I think that's the experience that I have and can probably speak to with the most um, precision and expertise, how we can be reflective of how we are showing up collectively how we have shown up collectively, historically. And when we can first like do that with ourselves and take ownership of ways we have shown up and, and break some of the cycle in those stories, we become more skillful at even being able to do that and hear that as a collective. And oh my gosh, if we can begin to um, see our part in 
um, racial justice and gender equality and all these types of things that begin to come up in, with violence. All these kind of things come up. I think that's that's where it's at. So um, I, I think the work is 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 there. Um, and, and I think there's a mandate. There's a mandate these days on on men and on fathers. We're evolving individually. We're evolving socially as beings. And you know the hey um, the kind of whatever 1950s show about like you know, dad waking up and breakfast is made and going out and working nine to five and coming back and just patting the kids on the head and sitting on the couch and smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper, like for the evening, like that story, like we're, we're, we've all beyond that. Right. We're evolved beyond that as, 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 as people. Um, and I think there's a, there's a mandate on fathers and, and, and men these days to play more of an integral role in and a partnership um, in raising of children and our engagement in the world. Um, and um, I think talking to men about how we we step up to the plate on that is going to be is really, really important. Yeah. And I love that this is all sort of um, surrounded by awareness and this mm-hmm. awakening, because I think all of this work, like all of it to become a better man, partner, father, you know, person in society, it mm-hmm. all has to be done through coming to terms with what is. And that means mm-hmm. taking that break, like you mentioned, and stop the inertia of your life and replace inertia with intention. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about the ways that you do that, whether it's with yourself uh, and your experience sort of growing through fatherhood, or even with your clients now as a coach for men, mm-hmm. what are some of the ways that we can practically Maybe it's sitting down and meditating. Maybe it's journaling. Like, are there things that you use yourself and with your clients that give men this sort of pattern interrupt to have the conversations that you're talking about here? Yeah. It can start out in really simple ways. You know, I, I find that a lot of guys I work with, sometimes it can really feel overwhelming. Like, like out there, there's a lot of these ideas about like, oh, healing and like, oh, finding like yourself, right? There's these big ideas right that way that some of us are guilty here even like on social media kind of the whatever the the consciousness healing world right can throw out these really massive promises and so many guys i like you know work with or interact with it's just like i'm just struggling to kind of get through the day and we have to balance some of these big ideas with very practical small steps right you know because that's what it took for me like um, practices in, in stopping the moment, right. And taking a break. How are you taking care of like your body? How are you taking care of your body? How are you taking care of your mind? How are you taking care of your heart? It could be, gosh, um, I'm trying to think of a simple practice that I worked with someone recently. Okay. I I work with, uh, some, some clients and I introduce an activity that's three minutes long. I'm going to have them do this multiple times a day is just to stop the first minute is to um, sit and take inventory of what you're noticing surrounding you. Like you literally visually look and you notice small details of things around whatever room you're in. Okay. Minute number two, you take a step closer. You begin to notice what you're feeling physically. Where are you holding tension? Oh, my my feet are cold. I have an itch on my back. What are you feeling physically? Minute number two. Minute number three is. What are you experiencing internally? Okay, I'm feeling um, 
I'm feeling anxious about this big meeting I have with my boss later. I'm feeling um, bad about the way I interacted with my partner earlier. I'm excited for going out and getting a drink with my buddy, whatever it is, right? So you just feel like it's three minutes, but it's like, it's just stopping. It's stopping and coming in contact with yourself, coming in contact with what is and realize, oh my gosh, I'm feeling this way, right? And then when something comes up later or maybe even realize, oh, actually, when I got upset with my kid earlier, I actually wasn't upset with him. I was actually really upset because I'm not feeling like I'm really um, doing great work and my boss is upset with me and I'm frustrated at myself. That's actually the thing. Right. And when we can do that over and over again, we begin to catch on to how we're feeling. And we 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 begin to catch it before it even, you know, before we get angry with the kid, right? We go, oh, you know what? I did a check-in earlier. I know I'm feeling this way because of like this other thing out here. I'm not gonna let that drive my relationship with my child anymore. So we, it's like little practices like that, right? That you can sometimes give to men and we can take on ourselves that can interrupt a moment, right? And all of a sudden we reclaim our power. We reclaim control of our lives versus this other thing leading us. If we can check in, if we know that, hey, you know what? Oh my God, I have some guys I know I'm struggling. I just, I love just binging out on Netflix or maybe I'm just, I'm hooked on just smoking weed every night or I'm drinking all the time. Great, cool. What are some practices that begin to tap into what is driving that, right? What is lead? You know, what what is leading you? Because you're not something's pushing you to that, right? So I think that that's what's important. Because a lot of us are not actually living our own lives. The stories we're telling about our lives are what's living us. Absolutely, man. And that reminds me. um, I think it was episode six with Dominic Cortuccio I had on here. We talked about drift. This idea that like most of your life is lived on inertia, and like ninety five percent of the things you do in a day is just habitual not mm-hmm. thinking about it. And when it comes to the important things like parenting and your mm-hmm. relationship and how you feel about yourself, you have to find a way to stop. Mm-hmm. Just like slow down and do yeah. exactly what you said. That's an amazing three minute tool that anyone listening to this can just like pause this and do it right now. Just see yeah. how you're feeling. Notice what you notice externally, internally, and then finally how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, we're doing our, we're doing this stuff, you know, there's, I, I don't, people talk about like healing and healing ourselves. Like, I, I don't think there's like a moment when like that, that happens, but what we can do as parents, you know, fathers, mothers, any, anyone on a spectrum of parenting, whatever as people, right. We can begin to introduce practice and disciplines into our life where we're working through and finding clarity around what's going on with us. So we're not, we're not setting that in between ourselves and everyone we're interacting with, you know, um, we're able to, I'm able to interact maybe with my son when he's having a really hard time and I'm no longer interacting with him through all these things I'm bringing to that, but I'm actually able to set those things aside. I'm able to see him for who he is clearly in that moment without bringing my own stuff to that moment. Right. Which is so often sometimes what we're doing as parents, right. We're looking at our child, but we're looking at them through the lens of all the things that we're experiencing, all the our frustrations and anxieties, and we pound that onto this interaction. These kind of practices and working through our own stuff allows us to see and have those moments and engage our kids with more clarity and with our whole selves. 
Yeah, and you stop projecting onto your kids, which, man, I had the hardest yeah. time with personally. I was going mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, my oldest son, I just couldn't connect with him. Whatever I did, and I see now, it's because I was doing exactly what you said. I was putting this lens up of all my mm-hmm. own shit that I hadn't yet worked through and that I couldn't take and put beside me. And it wasn't until I started doing things like meditating or journaling that you realize you can just come to a point, like you said, where you put it aside and you work through it and you feel through it. And I think that's an important note for everyone listening, like get into your body, feel what it feels like. There are clues there. There's always clues there. Mm -hmm. And that can bring you an an immense way on your sort of healing journey, so to speak. Yeah. I want to sort of sort of switch gears, not mm-hmm. not huge switch gears, but just to like fatherhood as a as a whole, ideals around fatherhood. Because I think with all the work that you share, uh, just with the way you speak on Instagram, and I've heard you on some lives and stuff like that, I think that you have some great ideas with what it takes to be a father and be a parent today, leading our children not to be who we want them to be, but to open our hearts to them so that they can become who they need to be. So mm-hmm. do you have any like ideals or fundamental principles you use, maybe just perspectives that you sort of father overarching everything that mm-hmm. covers, you know, raising a child? Yeah, I guess it's first off, like, really getting clear on like, what is mine to do? You know, um, and, and I love what you're, this conversation on guiding principles. I think it's it's a practice and a discipline that like I I, I work through with fathers who I'm I'm coaching with is to come up with guiding principles because those are important. Because when when the going gets tough and in those tough moments, if you know what your purpose is, if you have kind of these this north star you're moving towards, it can really help the decision making process. I have a story about that in just a second. I'll I'll, I'll tell you how that plays out, but. You know, one of those things is figure out what is mine to do. And my what's mine to do is to discover who these people are. Like to get unbelievably curious and inquisitive and be learn what, you know, who these little people are and then help create an environment for them to be all that that person is in the world, right? To allow that to thrive, right? So... It's not um, so really discovering, getting clear on who they are and equipping them and empowering them to be all that in the world and creating the space for that. That's that's one of my that's probably that's at the top for me is what is mine to do. And I think sometimes I'll, in, in, in seasons or time as well, I'll, I'll have some things that I'm really focused on right now in um my life, I, you know, I have a highly sensitive, emotional um, uh, child in, in, you know, my nine-year-old who struggles um, in uh, sometimes emotionally in a lot of ways. Um, and we have been through a lot, you know, I don't want to get into a lot of the details of that because that's kind of him and his story. And I'm respectful of kind of his own privacy there. But I would just say this, it's been really, um really, really challenging um, on on us and and, in our lives. And one of the focuses I have right now is what am I doing that's really strengthening my relationship with my kids? Like what is going to, what am I, what can I do that's going to strengthen relation, that bond? Because that's the most important thing. Um, so how that plays out is, for example, I got a call from my kid's school a couple of weeks ago that a, a, kind of a fight had broken out, you know, and these are, these are like third grade boys, right? 
playing on the playground just escalated. All these guys are friends. They're like all little brothers. And all of a sudden, someone's mask got stomped on and then ketchup got poured on someone else. And there was some middle fingers thrown up and some F-bombs and some, a couple of people got hit, right? Of course, my son's in the middle of this. I get, I get pulled into the principal's office. I right? walk in there. Now, before I'm even through the door, I have made a decision, right? Because this is my, one of my guiding principles right now. The most important thing in this moment is my relationship with my son. Everything else like is like another thing. That's the most important thing right here. So I walk in, you know, he's sitting there outside the principal's office. Like just, he knows, you know, he, he messed up or whatever. He comes over and gives me a hug and I can already tell he's just, he's angry. He's mad at the situation. We walk in, the vice principal says, actually, she says to me, can I talk to you first and have him wait outside? I said, actually, I have a different idea. I would like him to come in and I want to talk with him first and have him, I want to give him an opportunity to tell me about what happened. Right. She's like, okay, that's fine. So he came in and his little face with his long hair dripping over his eyes. You know, I, I, I part his hair and I look at him and say, Hey buddy, like, I want you to know something right at the very beginning is that I love you and nothing you could ever do. Nothing you could ever say will ever change that. Right. I know this is a hard moment, but I'll tell you what you and me are forever. And I want you to know that like, I care deep about, it. I'm so sorry this whole thing's happening. I know this is hard and we're, you know, we're going to do it together. And I started out that way. Right. And it, the whole thing shifted, right. When I went in there thinking about my relationship with my kid first, the whole thing shifted. He felt like it was disarming. It created that connection and sure it was hard to be in there and the vice principal and all this kind of stuff. And there were things that had to happen, right. There are still these boundaries and you know, he had to face the consequences for kind of what he did and all that, but he and I came out of that bonded, right? And that is it, right? So these kind of guiding principles for me, like, you know, are, are really, really important to get clear on what it is, what's ours to do, what is the most important for me as a parent, you know? Um, I think it's also really important to communicate those with, with your partner. If you, if you have a partner you are raising children with, you know, are you in agreement with these things? Are you supportive of these kinds of things? All that is, uh, I think, essential. So, thank you. For yeah, I think those that, are the, the ways that it can work out. Well, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm feeling so much just love and receptivity to what you're sharing right now. I just, yeah, what a great job you did yeah. so well there. I just want to reflect back. Like that is such a gift. And one thing that I noticed was that these um, principles were all about your son, your children. They weren't about what you wanted. They weren't about, well, I hope he's, you know, X, Y, Z when he grows up. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, here's very fundamentally as a human being, what I want for you is just to be you. Mm -hmm. And let's like, let's explore that. And I think that's yeah. a very important sort of meta note here to, to remember, because you talk to some people going like, well, what do you want for your kids? And it's like, oh, I want them to do this, this and this. It's like, well, okay, well, what yeah. do you want for yeah. them? Not for you. Yeah. Do you see that come up as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I will say, you know, I have definitely things that are me focused in the sense that like, you know, one of my things is. And, and for us, both my wife and I, is we know that our reaction to things is really going to be what dictates 
that the environment, right? Young children are working out so much. They're working out so much emotionally and physically and mentally. And so there is a, a mantra that we have around just our ability to regulate and our reaction to things um, is being central, you know, to, to what's going on. Our reaction to the hard moments, the celebratory moments, um, how we do that. My, my, my four-year-old, I have a, my, my four-year-old daughter was, we signed her up for soccer. For, first, like, team sport, like she'd ever done. First, first youth thing, she was so excited. Went to the soccer store. She got her shin guards, cleats, and she was like just vibing out and like her soccer gear. She got there practice. She's great practice. Little dribbles around. First game. First game. We walk over to the field right across the street from our house. Everyone's in their uniforms. There's everyone watching this game. She looks out there and just goes, nope. And just went right over the sideline and has sat for every game all season long. She practices, she chooses anything, but she has refused to get in the game, right? And internally, I'm a little frustrated. And, you know, signed her up for soccer. We're going to all these practices. What, what is, you know, she's great. She, there's nothing physically, she, like, you know what I mean? And, and we're showing up and I feel bad that like she can't sub in for these other players, right? There's all these things happening in me and in my wife. We're like, what is going on? Like, why won't she get in the game? But one of our mantras as a family and our values is we show up. We show up for each other. So for her, if she's not going to play, we're going to show up. We're going to show up for her team, even if she sits there. We're going to show up and we're going to cheer her on. And we're going to celebrate every movement towards like participation, right? And along the way, it was really important for us to communicate to her. Again, focusing on the relationship, play or not play, we love you. We love you, and we're we're not we're not expressing disappointment in her as a person because she's not going in to the game. Right now, there is good news to this story, by the way. Like on this last Friday, she got into the game for the first time, and she played like she played like nine minutes. It was amazing. We were all just like, you know. But I also reminded her afterward, you know, even though she got in, and we were all really happy that she she never needed to do that thing to earn our love, right? So again, always going back to what matters. I might have gotten off track from like our original question, but like no, this is fantastic. Like, I love I love this. This is my favorite part so far. It's just like let's yeah. get so real. And these yeah. are such good examples of like how you do these guiding principles, these values. Like yeah. if you're listening to this right now, ask yourself, do you have family values? Can you tell people what they are? Yeah. That's an important thing. Do you do you talk to your kids like very specifically about our family values are, or is it mostly right now about like just showing it? You know, we can we have lines and phrases we use a lot. Hey, hey, we show up for each other. Hey, you know, um, I love we, we love you. Know, like no matter what, or through all, you know, we have these phrases we use, and they'll even they even know some of these phrases. It was funny, you know, there, there's the whole like, you know, Glennon Doyle, we can do hard things phrase. I don't know if you follow Glennon or anything like that. You know, she has this, she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's incredible. She has this, we can do hard things phrase that's kind of become popular. And we'll use that sometimes. And I, you know, remember the other night, my four-year-old daughter repeating that back to me when I was struggling through something. She's like, you know, daddy, you can do hard things. And we, my wife and I both looked at each other and just like, we could tell we were just, 
busting up kind of laughing internally but also like oh my gosh like these little phrases they do hear them they do sink in um and so we do repeat those we don't have like them on a wall anywhere or written down officially but i think there are phrases we use that do sink in with our kids yeah and i think that's just the perfect balance i think if you got them written down it might be a little bit overkill (laughs) yeah but uh living them is the best teacher as you say they they pick it up anyway I would love, just in the last sort of 10 minutes we've got Mm -hmm. together, to talk about your story. You wrote a a post on your website, daringtodad.com, called Mm -hmm. My Journey Out of Evangelicalism. Uh And we've touched on it in this before. And I don't want to go into the whole story because people can read that and I encourage them to do so. But it did tie into some themes we've been talking about on this podcast the last three or four episodes, which are Mm -hmm. doing hard things, Mm -hmm. like you just mentioned, and Mm -hmm. identity shifts. I just talked to a former pro baseball player and he was telling me about just how difficult it was to step out of this life as a baseball player and become like well who was he took him Mm -hmm. you know years of soul searching Mm -hmm. to find out who he was below all of that doing who he actually was in the being and so my question is sort of twofold how did you process the decision making to be like whoa this doesn't align anymore and then how did you go about finding your identity if there was this sort of you know, blowing up explosion of identity at that time. Yeah. Um, You know, I I would say this as well, you know, this journey for me is a decade plus. This is years. Um, This isn't just like, you know, one moment for any one thing and, you know, six months later or whatever. Um, This is a long process. Um, You know, I was, I became a pastor in my early 20s. I finished college. I went to like a, a Christian university, took a job as a pastor right out of college, moved to Northern California and was like, you know, I kind of joked that I I started a church when I, I probably should have gone to therapy. But that's where we're at. And um, I was doing this work really early and, and moved to Northern California. And I don't live in a, a, a huge city, but a city big enough to be like really diverse. Um, um, and I was living in downtown on my own. It was really the first time I'd been on my own. And I began to experience different kinds of people and interact with different um, cultures than I'd ever really experienced before. And it was like, slowly beginning to take big, brick by brick out of this foundation that I had built um, on who I what I thought the world was. And meeting people who I learned were and the the other or the the sinner, even maybe sometimes the enemy. And we had to meet people and I was like, wait a second, hold on, these stories I was told about this type of person over is not true. What else? What else what else have I not been told? And brick by brick just began to kind of take back that foundation and um it was beautiful and devastating, devastating, you know, for, um, to like identity who I thought I was. And it, this was, this disrupted my identity, like that I had attached myself to, but it was also like my vocation, like my, all my relationships, kind of my place in the world, everything I'd studied and like spent four years going to college to be doing all these kinds of things just crumbled, just crumbled. And it was, so it was very devastating, really thankful during that times that I felt kind of 
spirit, I found religious and kind of spiritual communities on the margins who I always thought were like crazy freaks, you know? And all of a sudden I was like knocking at their door, like, Hey, um, I'm here now, you know, can I come in and can we chat? Um, and I'm really grateful for those spaces, but yeah, it was really hard. Um, and I, I looked to a lot of things to find identity and to wrestle with those things. Um, even like in my marriage, you know, we got married when I was in my early twenties, we dated, got married all within these, this type of community. So it was my kind of spiritual deconstruction or religious deconstruction involved someone else. Right. And involved early on, you know, children and all these types of things. And um, yeah, the identity shifting is is really hard, you know, no matter what. And to your point, like with a lot of men, when uh, changing jobs, retiring, becoming a parent, shifts in identities can be really, really hard. Um, uh, and it was definitely like that for me. And it's been a it's been a very, very long journey. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Are there any yeah. tools that you use for yourself just to like your mm-hmm. your whole world's been blown apart now? Mm-hmm. Devastating, I think was the word you said. Yeah. What do you do? Like you start going to these sort of so-called fringe groups, mm-hmm. but like how do you find out who you truly are? Cuz I'm guessing and you can tell me if this is wrong, but you mm-hmm. probably don't identify as, you know, you were evangelical mm-hmm. and now you're like this other thing. You're probably more like I'm Ryan. Is that, yeah. is that safe to say? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, what kind of things can you do to go there? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's really easy. And for a lot of people who are going through any type of like religious, you know, deconstruction type of thing where there's questions beginning to rise, we immediately want to go grab the next thing, right? Because all of a sudden we need, we're like addicted to finding this identity outside of ourselves. This one thing gave us identity for so long. That's not there anymore. I need to run and find something else quick. Right. I need, I, I need to find another label, something I can like gravitate towards. Right. The problem is a lot of times what we do is we, we take ourselves and the stories we're telling just to that next thing. Right. We, if, if we came from a fundamentalist thing and we never actually explore like who we are, we're just going to take our fundamentalism and put it on something else. I've seen this happen. Like a lot of people will really leave like religious fundamentalism and they'll become activists and they're like fundamental activists, but you're like, equally not as fun. <laughs> you know, it's like we if we don't stop and we don't actually reclaim some power in our lives and agency over our lives, right? We just take it to the next thing. And so, you know, in the work I do with people around religious deconstruction, again, we 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 pause, we stop and we ask deeper questions about our own desires, our own stories, our own narratives, our own inner workings, right? So that whatever is we whatever context we do walk into next, we, we walk in with, with a new perspective and a grounding in our own, in ourselves, in our experience, right? So that we can walk into those with a more expansive view of the world, a more expansive view of ourselves. Um, and I find that that is, 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 has been helpful and healthy for, for, for people. So I think that that's part of, that's part of the work and identity whatever it is, right? So you're in a place where you lost a job, or you're going through a career change, or you're retiring, you know, you're, you're a former baseball player, you know, whatever athlete, if you're making those big things, that's a real time to get curious about yourself and your own story, right? And to make that your next, you know, um, exploration, right? So that whatever you do find, um, you're going to walk into um, um, 
really clear on who you are and what it is that you want and what it is that you desire in the world and what kind of life you want to live. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And this brings to mind, uh, probably last thing we'll get into why it's so hard to sit with yourself. You're attached to this thing. That's not you. You're attached to, you know, you move it on to the next thing so that at least, you know, the way I think about it, so you don't have to sit with who you truly are because you might not be comfortable with that. You might not like what you see. And that speaking of sort of principles, guiding principles is one of the thing I've thought for my own children is let me help them develop their sense of self worth and confidence so much so that they're never worried about tying their identity to an opinion or Mm. to, you know, something else in the world. So is there anything on that sort of last point that comes to you? Does that, does that ring true? And it's just so hard to sit when you're uncomfortable with yourself and you got to do this work to get there. Yeah. Like the idea of sitting with yourself is uncomfortable, you know, like doing it as a whole other like Jedi level. Yeah. Because it's so easy and even popular and it's even rewarded in culture to like blame something else. And don't get me wrong. Like there are structures and powers in place that are like shitty and need to be torn down. Right. Whatever. And pick pick your scapegoat. It's easy to say, oh, we want to we want to in America we want to blame Donald Trump. We want to blame you know we want to blame this political party. We want to blame X, Y, or Z, right? And you know the culture, social media, all these rewards are moral outrage on those things, right? But when we sit with ourselves, I tell you what, here's, here's what it does. When we sit with ourselves, when we claim responsibility and ownership and we sit with what is, we have radically shifted our ability to make impact, right? Because when we're blaming all these other things, right? We're basically saying it's, it's these things that are responsible for changing. It's these things that are responsible for the shift that, you know, to make me and everybody else happy. But when we sit with ourselves and what is and the reality of stuff, all of a sudden we're, we're reclaiming the power, right? An example could be, because I find that these examples are, hel- are, are helpful. One, uh, uh, an exercise that I know uh, my coach has kind of led me through and I, I've, I, I take this practice to even my clients and stuff is just to do an exercise where tell me about your current state and your current barriers at your face without any stories say only the facts only the facts don't don't interpret them no no interpretation no stories tell me the facts what actually is what could you prove in a court of law of what your current state is and sometimes in doing that when we get to the reality of what is without all the interpretations and stories we're putting things around all of a sudden it's like oh okay this is what is and this is what i'm responsible for right because if we can take responsibility for it we 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 can take responsibility for changing it if that makes sense right okay um and i find that to be incredibly empowering um so sitting with yourself and sitting with what is can actually be um very restorative in our ability to make impact Yes, that was exactly the missing point to my thought that I was needing. Yeah. I didn't know I needed it, yeah. so thank you for going yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of the question on um, one of the questions in Byron Katie's The Work. Uh, if you know, listening, if you've ever heard that, um, one of the things she asks you to do with your thoughts are to ask, "Is this true?" And if you're like, "Yeah, it's true," 
Then the next question is, are you 100% sure it's absolutely, objectively, you know, impossible without a shred of a doubt true? And the answer is always like, well, no, I can't like really know that because nobody can know that. And from that place of like, okay, no story, then exactly, you're right, you get to take responsibility for it. And it's not, what I like to say is it's not your fault. Like all the wounds, all the traumas that you react to from your past, childhood, whatever, that's not your fault. But you are the only one responsible for doing anything about it. And like you said, it's the only way to make change. So if you're not satisfied with something in your life or the world, take responsibility for it, see what happens. Yeah, it's it's so true because, you know, for many of us and, 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 trauma aside you know i make sure i say i'm i'm not i'm not a therapist i'm not trauma therapist not my area of expertise right but so many of us are like walking around as a like with this big like look what happened to me sign on us this is what happened to me right i was this i was that or i used to be that or whatever right and we're walking around with that even like we show up at work like oh it was Oh, my, my kids weren't getting ready on time and it didn't make the bed. And, oh, the traffic was terrible. And, oh, they got my coffee order wrong. And oh, my boss is terrible to me. Oh, look at all these things happening to me, right? And we're constantly walking around with this. The, the, we, we're, the power, uh, you know, my joy, my ability to impact is based on all these other things that are happening to me, right? But when we can sit with ourselves, we continue to take ownership. And flip those things. Okay, how are you taking responsibility for all that? Where, you know, game changer, game changer. Yeah, one of the questions I like to ask myself is how am I complicit in creating the conditions I find myself in? Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, ooh, yeah, <laughs> I'm responsible for everything. That can, ooh, that's, a, that's a big one. You got to care about that. That can lead to all sorts of craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I love that. So, okay, we're at the top of the hour now. I know you got to run. Sure. Um, what? Give us just a quick overview of what you do. Men will have heard this in the intro, which I'm going to record in a moment. But what do you do and where can people find you? Yes. Um, uh, I am a certified coach. And I work with men and fathers to deepen your own experience and impact on the world. I work um, uh, one-on-one. And I do some occasional groups and things like that. You can find information about that. Um, I am daringtodad.com. I'm probably most active and probably on Instagram way too much, but daring to dads, my social, uh, my Instagram handle, I'm on there a lot talking and just sharing um, my own experience and um, thoughts on fatherhood, masculinity, faith, all those things. So that's where I'm at. Amazing. Daring to dad com and on Instagram. Okay, yep. Ryan, this has been so much fun. I really loved sort of the flow we got into talking about, you know, your own children and just your story. Yeah. I very much appreciate the vulnerability and going there. So thanks, man. It's been a joy. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.